Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Kim, Leyland, Roxana, Leslie Ann, and Jenna are a few names. These women were housed with men, a situation that transgender women in the criminal justice system often face. The Human Rights Campaign says in 2021, that was considered the deadliest year for the trans community. 375 transgender people were killed that year. And that is a figure that has risen since 2020, which that total was 350. The National Center for Transgender Equality has found prisons extremely dangerous for trans women who often aren't housed according to their gender identity. These are their stories. As the Americas were beginning to develop under British colonial settlement, many laws targeted marginalized groups, specifically queer or gender identity, as early as the 19th century. Many laws were enacted to make gender and sexual acts a crime, even to the point where if you were caught, quote-unquote, cross-dressing or dressing as the opposite gender, it was considered a criminal act. And through the passage of time, this created a form of advocacy groups but would target and create discriminatory policies that would make it harder for transgenders to be treated fairly in the criminal justice system. In 2011, the percentage of transgender and gender nonconforming identities who reported history of incarceration was at 16%, compared to the 5% of the U.S. population. There was an overrepresentation of trans individuals' inadequacies in the criminal justice system starting at the law enforcement level and trickling its way through the courts and applications of legislation. Trans individuals were simply easy targets by convicting them with more punishment of longer sentences, which included more harassment and abuse towards trans offenders. Once a trans individual was convicted, the correctional institutions were ruthless and completely against their rights and their medical treatments within those cold walls and bars. Trans individuals were left in prisons based on what their gender identified from their birth certificate. And because of that, there was an increased likelihood of physical, sexual, and harassment if the identity and gender were mismatched. There has been numerous reports of forcible rapes, physical assaults, to mental anguish, psychological damage, and feelings of humiliation. The mistreatment and violence towards transgender and individuals has seeped its way through society in criminal justice system, considering this as a normalcy and how to deal with individuals who have been identified through these many policies as quote-unquote less than human. And this is farthest from the truth. Transgender and gender nonconforming identities have been in our community 
and has been documented as far back as 202. A trans man named Marcus Arielus Antonius, or known as Elagabalus, who was a Roman Empire from 218 to 222. These women's stories hits on the subject of violence towards transgender persons. Based on human rights campaign website, which have done reports in research, keeping track of anti-transgender fatal violence across more than 30 states, as well as over 100 cities nationwide. This epidemic impacts trans women of color. This can comprise approximately four out of five homicides of transgender persons or a person of color. Trans women of color have been violently attacked and disregarded, and it all comes back to anti-trans stigma. This looks like cultural marginalization and invisibility, a hostile political climate, and lack of family acceptance. It prevents these women a full participation in society, a denial of opportunity from education, employment, health care, the criminal justice system, and barriers to legal identification. This it also increases the risk factors in intimate partner violence and sexual assault, engagement in survival sex work, poverty and homelessness, and physical and mental health disparities. All of these issues are intertwined with racism and sexism. In this episode, I will talk on reported statistics of the criminal justice system and barriers to legal identification amongst transgender people. Kim Tova Wirtz was born in Minnesota, but had lived in Baltimore for more than 20 years. Baltimore is located about 40 miles northeast of Washington, D.C. She transitioned at age 13, yet struggled to find jobs and housing over the years due to discrimination she had faced as an Asian American Pacific Islander and trans woman. Yet despite her hardships, she continued to show her resilience. Kim, a 43-year-old Asian transgender woman was found unconscious on February 25, 2021, in a single jail cell at the Baltimore Central Booking and Intake Center. Officers immediately began CPR and called for medical assistance and emergency paramedics. Yet on Thursday, February 26, Kim's niece received a devastating call from the chaplain of the Baltimore City Central Booking Unit, informing her that their aunt, Kim was found unconscious in her single cell just after midnight on February 25th. She was later pronounced dead at 1.16 a.m. at Mercy Hospital. In the chaplain's statement, however, was never mentioned that Kim had been housed with male inmates in the detainment facility, which is a common practice that increases trans people's risks of harm. Kim's niece was quoted saying, she was a very strong person. She tried to find her place in this world. On January 31, 2021, according to charging documents, a woman told Baltimore police that Kim threatened her with a gun, placed a barrel in her mouth, and forced her to perform oral sex 
inside a southwest Baltimore home. The victim identified Kim Wirtz to police, and Kim was then arrested and charged with first-degree rape. Kim's niece said that the family was frustrated by the lack of information about her death and that Kim was housed with male detainees even though she was identified as a woman. Maryland's Department of Safety and Correctional Services does not believe there was foul play involved once they've completed their investigation. However, Kim's family criticized authorities for not providing more information. In fact, there were existing concerns about the safety of people who were housed at the Department of Safety and Correctional Services, Central Booking. On November 15, 2021, many LGBTQ rights groups rallied in front of the Baltimore City Hall that Saturday, identifying harassment and violence towards trans inmates at the state-run correctional facility in Baltimore. One of the people that spoke at this rally, Nicole Wells, a trans woman who identifies both white and Latina, is also a case manager with the Baltimore Safe Haven. She talked about a time when she faced the same type of harassment and misgendering at the facility. Even though she clearly identified with the current name and gender markers on her identification, she was still housed in the male unit and was assaulted because of not receiving protective custody as an inmate. And yet, it continues, more transgender persons would not leave their cell alive. Leilin Polanco was an Afro-Latino transgender woman who was found unresponsive in her cell on June 7, 2019. She suffered from a documented seizure disorder at the Rose M. Singer Center on Rikers Island. New York City Department of Corrections identified that a custodial staff member tried to revive her using CPR and then a defibrillator before a member of the medical staff arrived. She was pronounced dead by 3.45 p.m. that day. It was reported that she was in solitary confinement following an alleged fight. Leyland was not observed by a suicide prevention agent for 47 minutes. Inmates that are housed in punitive segregation should be at least observed every 15 minutes. And there was footage outside the Rikers Island jail cell in New York City, revealing that the guards waited 90 minutes before calling for help. Her family had told NBC News that the footage shows that guards failed to provide her with the care she needed when she was having complications from epilepsy. In this release footage, two correction officers can be seen opening the door to check on Leyland and are seen laughing while calling out her name. She was pronounced dead less than an hour later. And when Leyland's family viewed the video, as they heard the officer's laughter in the background, this was strongly considered a symbol of complete disregard the entire system had for Leyland. On the Post website, it was reported that Leyland was arrested on April 13th and detained since April 16th on a misdemeanor charge of assault and criminal possession of a controlled substance. Leyland was being held on a $500 bail as a result of a years-old prostitution charge. Even though Leyland's family received a settlement, winning the lawsuit, seeking justice for Leyland. 
Her family identified that no guards involved in Leyland's death were ever fired. Despite the evidence of negligence, no one has been held accountable. Roxana Hernandez was a 33-year-old transgender Honduran woman who was part of the Central American migrant caravan of April 2020. She died of pneumonia complications at a hospital in New Mexico on May 25, 2020, while in the custody of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, acronym ICE. Roxana had fled Honduras due to the violence and discrimination she received for being transgender. From a BuzzFeed News article, she was interviewed shortly after her arrival in the United States, quoting that four men had raped her, and as a result, she had gotten HIV. And, quote, trans people in my neighborhood are killed and chopped into pieces, then dumped inside potato bags, end quote. When Roxana reached the United States, she was placed in U.S. Customs and Border Protection into holding cells, which are known to be called, quote-unquote, iceboxes, because of their frigid temperature. And during her hold, she had lacked adequate food and medical care, and was held in this cell with lights were turned on 24 hours a day. Nine days before her death, she was transferred to a transgender unit in Cibolo County Correctional Center. Roxana was admitted to Cibola General Hospital and later transferred via air ambulance to Albuquerque's Loveless Medical Center, being quickly placed on intensive care unit. A day later, she died. ICE maintained that her primary cause of death was cardiac arrest. Leslie Ann Manning a 53-year-old transgender who was an inmate in one of State of New York's prisons of February 5, 2013, where she sued the State of New York, saying she was raped in a men's prison. Leslie Ann later died of lung cancer days before she was freed on parole, September 23, 2019, even though she had received a parole board approval in May. She didn't have her release expedited, even though her severity of her illness. One of Leslie Ann's longtime friends went to visit her prior to her release, and it was a shock and a dread to see Leslie Ann in a wheelchair on oxygen and could barely be upright for an hour before having to go lie down. Leslie Ann, who had been serving a 30-year sentence for shooting at a police car, passed away on Saturday, September 23, 2019, at the Wend Correctional Facility in Alden, near Buffalo. Jenna Mitchell, 25 years old, transgender woman, was found hanging with bedsheets while in solitary confinement at Valdosta State Prison, on December 2, 2017. She had been housed in solitary confinement for more than two weeks. She died after having been in coma for two days before life support was withdrawn. Mitchell's mother had called the prison on December 2, after she received a letter from her daughter saying that she was going to pull a quote-unquote suicide stunt. She took the threat seriously, because Mitchell suffered from schizophrenia 
bipolar disorder and untreated gender dysphoria. Instead of placing her on suicide watch, she was transferred to a building dedicated to solitary confinement of inmates. Jenna was serving up to 10 years for a 2015 robbery conviction, and even though she was identified as a transgender woman, she was held at a prison for men. More than 30 minutes of surveillance videos from inside of the prison shows correction officers and sergeant making the rounds in a section of the prison where Jenna was being held. The officer and sergeant ignored Mitchell's pleas for help and then failed to respond in a timely way when she attempted to hang herself in her cell. The corrections officer taunted Jenna and encouraged her to take her own life. Shortly after the corrections officer walked away, an orderly walked over to Jenna's cell and found her hanging from a noose connected to a vent. The orderly said he ran to find the sergeant, who he said smirked and laughed when told that Jenna had hung herself. The sergeant and corrections officer walked away, and more than 10 minutes passed before they returned. Jenna's mother had to watch in horror for two days as Jenna, who had dreamed of joining the military and admired service members, was in a coma after hanging herself while in solitary confinement and was handcuffed to a hospital bed. Georgia State Prisons have been under fire with complaints from family members and civil rights organizations on the inhumane conditions such as feces and urine-covered cells due to sewage backups and prisoner-on-prisoner -prisoner violence. Jenna's mother, with a cracked voice, states, quote, They killed my child. They did nothing to help my child. End quote. I have reached out to Aya Damons, the Executive Director of Safe Haven Baltimore, which is a trans advocacy organization, and they have led protests following the death of Kim Wirtz and many more. On the Baltimore Sun website, Aya has expressed that there needs to be more done to protect trans people when they enter the criminal justice system, and that the city and state agencies are not doing enough to help trans individuals. Quote, If we don't protect us, who is going to protect us better than we are? We are tired of dying. We are tired of people ignoring the fact that we too exist here in Baltimore City and that they need to step up and do something. End quote. One of the things Aya had mentioned is that if there was an LGBTQ coordinator to work inside the jail system to advocate for trans detainees so they are ensured to receive proper health care and therapy and not to be victimized by others in facilities or discriminated against by staff. From the Free State Justice website, Jeremy Lamaster, who is the executive director, also advocates and provides legal services to low-income lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Maryland residents. This organization wants to make sure that families get answers, especially with the deaths of these women. Kim, Leyland, Roxana, Leslie Ann, and Jenna 
Amongst the other women's names that I have not mentioned, transgender women are hardly ever incarcerated according to their gender identity, which puts them at a much higher risk of violence. A 2020 report from NBC News found out that 4,890 trans people who were incarcerated in the United States prisons, only 15 could be confirmed as being housed according to their lived gender. Trans women of color are jailed more frequently and suffer trauma and discrimination more brutally than the general population. Overall, 16% of transgender people have spent time behind bars, and those numbers are even higher for trans women of color. A 2015 report from the Department of Justice found that 35% of trans people who have been incarcerated over the previous years reported being sexually assaulted by staff or other people incarcerated with them. Being incarcerated in men's facility can also impact a trans woman's ability to have her name and pronouns respected, and trans people in prison may struggle to access gender-affirming care like hormones. After the untimely death of Kim Wirtz, a Human Rights House Bill 231 was pushed into the Maryland House of Delegates. Even the LGBT Bar Association had pushed for the adoption of bills to ban the use of the LGBTQ panic defense across the country. So on Wednesday, March 10, 2021, the Maryland House of Delegates unanimously passed a bill which would ban a defendant's use of the quote-unquote discovery of a victim's gender identity or sexual orientation as a, quote, a defense to the crime of assault in any degree, end quote. This bill reaffirms that LGBTQ plus rights are human rights. The incident has raised questions regarding the treatment of transgender lesbian, gay, and bisexual, detained and the systematic silence around issues that disproportionately impact trans women of color. There are a few actions we could use your support on. We must address the inequities in the criminal justice system, including holding law enforcement to a higher standard in serving transgender people and communities of color. Encourage local law enforcement agencies to designate an LGBTQ police liaison and enact policies that ensure respectful, culturally competent, and non-discriminatory interactions with transgender and gender non-conforming people. These actions are imperative to the larger law enforcement community's ability to accurately gauge the scope of bias-motivated crimes and effectively address them. Because reporting hate crimes is currently not mandatory under federal law, municipal police department must take every step possible to ensure that their hate crimes data is transmitted to the FBI accurately and on time. Future policies need to address these issues, and it needs to be fully implemented and enforced. Policymakers and political officials need to acknowledge and actively work to fix the injustice served to the transgender population in the United States. 
and create gender-variant prison facilities within which the gender-variant communities can exist and safely. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.